Thank you, Mr. David. Let me get situated real quick. Well, good morning. My name's Cody Alvarez. Uh, this is my wife, Jordan, right here, and our, my, our daughter, Eliana. Um, we call her Ellie. But I just want you guys to know I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm honored. This is... This is the culmination of so much prayer and preparation and, and you guys, y'all couldn't be more kind and gracious and I'm just excited to see what the Lord's gonna do. Amen. But well, y'all came here to hear the word today, didn't you? <laughs> so let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll get into it. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness to us. God, I pray right now that you would open our eyes to your word. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to, through me to our hearts. God, and where our hearts are hard, Lord, I pray that you would crush us. And where we need healing, God, you would build us up. Lord, we pray that you would you would honor the, the reading and the, the preaching of your word as we continue in worship through the preaching of it. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 18, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me. And this morning, we're going to be in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's a little bit different what, what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to see that the way of weakness is the way of Christ. It's counterintuitive. But in our weakness, doesn't Paul tell us that's, that's when we're strong? So the way of Christ is the way of weakness. So in this parable, two men go to the temple to pray. One man, he leaves justified and the other man leaves carrying the full weight of his sin. So here's, here's what we're gonna, if you're a note taker, this is the takeaway. You're gonna see it on the screen. Jesus shows us in this parable that in the eyes of God, projected strength and self-reliance, that's true weakness, but strength is walking in humility and repentance. And as we begin this journey together, I desperately wanna be a part of a movement of God. Now, you can put that on and you can project it to the world, but the cool things happen when we humble ourselves before God and we learn the life of dependence, that's when the Holy Spirit begins to work through us in power. That's when people's lives start to be transformed because we are being transformed by the power of the Spirit. So before I get, get going too much, let's get in our text. If you will, read with me. We're gonna start in verse nine. So he is Jesus here. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous 
and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing a, a far way off, not even lifted up, he didn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but instead he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. May the Lord add blessing to the, the, to the reading of his word. So we're gonna take this in three parts. So part one, we're gonna see the prideful prayer of the Pharisee. Part two, we're gonna see the, the, the cry for mercy from the tax collector. And sometimes preachers make, uh, make a lot out of, out of uh, parables, but parables have one point. And the point comes in verse 14, so that's gonna be uh, part three. The point is the one who is proud will be humbled, and the one who is humbled, he, who comes to God in humility, God will exalt him. So, so that's how we're going to walk through this, this morning. So part one, the, the Pharisees' prideful prayer. We're going to see that there's no salvation in the strength of men. So Luke here in verse nine, he's being a good storyteller. How do, what does he tell us? He says that, that Jesus, he's talking to people who trusted in themselves for righteousness. So let's, let's, let's take this at what it is. So what does it mean that we would trust ourselves for righteousness? Well, these, these are people who believe that they could stand before God on their own merit. So on the day of judgment, they believe that they could stand before God and that they would be righteous. Well, anything apart from being dependent on the, the work of God and God giving you mercy, that's just a false sense of righteousness. That's what that is. So this, this is what Jesus talks about that, that's that broad, one of the broad ways that leads to destruction. That's trusting in yourself for righteousness and for salvation. But the way of Christ is the way of humility and weakness. The idea that someone can trust themselves for righteousness, think about how offensive that is to Jesus. Jesus, being God, stepped out of heaven into earth, put on flesh, and died for sin so that we could be righteous. But you want to present yourself like you're righteous on your own? That's offensive to Jesus. So this righteousness we're talking about here is having right standing before the Lord. And the Pharisees, they believed they did. They, they believed that they, that they nailed it. But here's the irony. Their own law tells them they didn't. You'll see on the screen the, the Psalm 14.3, and they would have had this memorized. This is what Psalm 14.3 says. They have all turned aside. So all means all, means all. That's you too, Pharisee. That's you too, self-righteous. That's me and that's you. Together they have become corrupt. Again, the Pharisee and the self-righteous are in the they there. And there is no one who does good, not even one. So here's the deal about righteousness. 
Righteousness is only given as a gift. Anything else is self-righteousness. It's fake strength. It's what the Pharisee was standing in the temple portraying. So, I mean, think about, their, think about the whole sacrificial system, right? The, the whole sacrificial system was set up because we are failures. That's why, and the sacrificial system didn't do away with sins. It just covered sins. And the Pharisees knew this. And these Pharisees, they weren't even living out what they, what they believed and what they knew. But what, what's God tell us in the Old Testament? What, what sacrifice pleases the Lord? A poor and contrite spirit, a humble spirit. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So let's, let's go back to our story. So that's kind of the setting. Now let's get back to the story. So the Pharisee, he goes into this temple and he, he approaches the throne of God with eyes lifted up, proud in his own strength. And, and this is his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, the extortioner, the unjust, the adulterer, or even, look at the this there. Look at the text. He's looking around the room and even this tax collector. In this prayer, the Pharisee only exalts himself over others. God, look at how good I am. Look at how bad they are. He compares his strength to the weakness of other people to make himself feel more righteous, to, to look better than what he really was. And looking around the room, he sees the, the tax collector and he's just, he's, he's further emboldened. So he, he, he looks around and he sees this tax collector and he's disgusted. So why was he disgusted by the tax collector? Let's, let's think about who the tax collectors were. So, you know, Rome came in and they were oppressing the Jewish people in the first century. And the, the tax collector was a Jew working for the Romans, extorting the Jews, and the Romans gave him, gave him protection to basically do whatever he wanted as long as he gave the Romans monies from the Jews. So the Jews saw him as a traitor, he saw himself as a traitor, but here's the deal. You put yourself in this, this Jewish mindset because every time we see the Pharisee, we think the Pharisee, bad guy, because we've read the New Testament. The Pharisee's the defender of truth for the Jew. He is the picture of righteousness. This, this tax collector, like this is an offensive story that Jesus is telling. This tax collector, he He's a traitor against the Jewish people, but to be against the Jewish people in the mind of the first century Jew is to be against God himself. So that's how, that's how these people saw this man, and that's how this man saw himself, by the way. He saw himself as a, as a, a traitor. So 
Here, the Pharisee, he's trusting in himself and his real prayer is, God, thank you for how awesome I am. By the way, you're welcome. God, thank you that I'm better than these weaker ones. Actually, there was no thanking God, was there? It's, it's more like an assertion. God, I am better than these. You're welcome. And, you know, it's easy for us to point our finger at this Pharisee. But if we're honest, we can get there real quick. Now, we're not, we're all churched up. We're not gonna say stuff like that, right? We, we, we're not gonna do that. But when we start having a, an elevated view of ourselves, and we, we, we aren't daily preaching the gospel to our hearts, that's how we get this prideful heart that we see manifested in this Pharisee. So what does it mean to, to preach the gospel to yourself? It looks like daily remembering what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. What have we been saved from? We've been saved from sin. We've been saved from hell. We've been saved from the, the captivity of the principalities of this world. And what have we been saved to? We've been saved to heaven. We've been saved to reign forever with God. We have been saved to walk in obedience with Christ. We have been saved for the Holy Spirit to manifest good works through us by, by you know, those spiritual fruit that we talk about. That's all the Holy Spirit doing that in us. But these things start happening and we start thinking it's us. And then we start looking at these people around us going, man, if they just had it together like I do. Paul Tripp, I saw that y'all did a study by him not too long ago. Paul Tripp calls us gospel amnesiacs, meaning we so easily forget what we've been saved from because we're not daily preaching that, that gospel to ourselves, And when we're not preaching the gospel to ourselves, we start believing we're the ones producing the work of sanctification in us instead of the spirit. If we're not preaching the gospel to our hearts daily, we will quickly become the Pharisee. So let's, let's look back at our Pharisee. So in his prayer, he says that he, he uh, prays, uh, or he fasts twice a week. So you gotta understand, the Jewish law only required once a year. So this guy was killing it. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, that's when they fasted. So this guy, he fasted twice a week, nailing it, dude. And then he's like, I give tithes of all that I get. I don't know if you've ever did a deep dive of tithing in the Old Testament. It's real easy for us because we put a spreadsheet up, we take 10% off, and then we rock and roll, right? The Old Testament tithing, one, they didn't have a spreadsheet, and then two, like, it's a lot. It's like, it ends up being like 20-something percent of what they're, of what, and they're, it's of herbs and all the things that's coming in. Those are the things, like that's hard to keep up with. And let's take the man at his word that he's doing these things. But here's the deal. The man came into the temple. He offered a prayer. He needed God to do nothing for him. He made no request of God. And he got exactly what he, what, what he asked for from God, didn't he? He got nothing. The man was blinded by his morality. When, you're, when you trust in your morality, 
you're going to be left empty. But when you come to God empty, you're going to be leave full. He's going to pour his grace and mercy out on you. The Pharisee, he was going through all the religious motions to strike his own ego, his own ego, to comfort himself about his own inadequacies. You know, and again, I'm saying it's easy to point our finger at this guy, but we have to fight these things in our own heart. His prayer was not directed at the throne of the king. His prayer, it exalted his true king, right? He worshiped himself. And when we get caught in the, the rat race of religiosity and moralism, we're not doing that to honor God. We're doing that to honor us, right? Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Christian, if you've taken some inventory of your heart this morning and you kind of see some of this stuff come up, here's my plea to you. Humble yourself before the Lord and he's gonna exalt you, confess your sin. He's, he's, gonna, he's gonna raise you up or care what the world around you, what your friends and what your family thinks. Walk in that pride and he says he will humble you. So we have this opportunity now. Humble yourself this morning by throwing off self-righteousness. So what do I mean by that? Anything that you speak or act like or the way that you present yourself to to make you feel better about you, to make people think you're better than you are, to, 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 to keep someone else down maybe. Or maybe you present yourself to God a certain way that you know you really aren't, and guess what? He searches the soul he already knows. That's, that's, that's his self-righteousness. Because here's the deal. Before God, all your righteous works, he just says they're filthy rags anyway. Your self-righteousness, it only does one thing. It offends a holy God. The Pharisee, he's using his good deeds to compare himself to how much better he is than the other people. This is, this is this, this, like a false veneer. This, this false veneer of strength is, is putting on something you're not in effort to make the world think that you're better than you are. And I want you to know this is hurting you but if you look around this room, you know who it's really hurting? It's hurting the body of Christ. In, my, in the group of men that I disciple, when I, when I come in and, I, and my heart wants to, and often my heart does, I'll come in and I'll project strength. I'll project it like I've got it all together. I'm not confessing my sins. I'm not telling them where I'm struggling. You know what's replicated? False strength. Nobody's finding healing. Nobody's having the Holy Spirit work through them. You know why? Because we're just sitting there pretending. But when, when we come together humble and, and we, we present ourselves as we are, God does stuff. False strength only builds barriers between you and other believers. False strength only builds barriers between you and God. 
Look at the Pharisee. I'm going to, I'm, this is speculate, speculation, but I'm going to believe that he thought he had genuine community. But when you spend all your time being fake, you're never going to have genuine community. Genuine community doesn't grow when you weaponize your strengths to make other people think that you're better than them. That I, I just see him standing before the people saying this prayer of how great he is and how bad they are. That's, that's not building genuine community. What that's doing is building barriers and that's weaponizing your, you being fake to make them think you're better than you are. One of the greatest outreach mechanisms of the church, and this is, this is one of the things, especially from the new people coming into this church, they, they say this about you. Jesus tells us in the New Testament, they will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. But if, we, if we're weaponizing our strengths, keeping other people oppressed, not having real genuine community, you know what's not gonna happen? We're not gonna reach the world because we're gonna be too busy trying to impress each other, right? You know, if this man would have ever let, it, let his guard down, he would have found healing. He would have found forgiveness. And you know what else? The people around him probably would have too. I would challenge you this morning, maybe, maybe you would just be brave enough to the people in your community group those you're, you're close to in the church, if you would be brave enough to be broken in front of them, I'm not saying come up here and do it. <laughs> no. But if you would be brave enough to be broken in front of them, you, I know you would find healing. You would find forgiveness. Not only that, I believe they will too because they're gonna emulate what they see in you. So let's move on. Part two, the prayer for mercy. And this, this part's not as long, I promise. <laughs> so we're gonna see in verses 13 through 14 that weakness is the way. So let's, let's reacquaint ourselves with, with our text, verse 13. But the, but the tax collector standing a far way off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but instead he, 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 he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. See, the, the contrast of the Pharisee, the Pharisee, he goes down front, he makes this big grand speech, eyes lifted to heaven, right? The, the tax collector, he doesn't. He stands in the back. He beats his chest. He will not lift his eyes to the heaven. The beating of the chest is, is the outward expression of inward turmoil. He understood that the righteous anger of God should be poured out on him. He saw himself as de detestable to God. But he cried out for mercy and he found it. One of these men walked away justified before God and one man walked away justified in his own sight. And he is and will bear the full weight of his sin in hell. And you might be here this morning thinking, 
well, I'm too guilty. God, God wouldn't. He knows what I've done. I know what I've done. God wouldn't forgive me. Don't listen to the lie of the devil. So one of the names for the devil is Satan. Satan translates as the accuser. The devil, the Satan, what he's doing is he's making an accusation against you that you're too bad, you're too far gone, that, that God can't help you. And you need to also hear the other accusation. The other accusations against God Almighty that he wouldn't. I'm here today and I'm telling you in the Bible, the Bible speaks this clear that God will. God will forgive you if you see yourself as a sinner and you fall on your face before him. Here, here, here's, listen to this. A hypothetical sinner will have a hypothetical savior. But when your sin is real to you, you have a real savior ready and willing to forgive you of your sins. I'm gonna say that again. Hypothetical sinners have hypothetical saviors. And those, when these people we see caught up in the religious motion, they don't see themselves as sinners. But when you see yourself as a real sinner, there is a real savior ready and willing to forgive you. We only see the tax collector say two things, that he's a sinner and that he needs mercy. It's only the one who cries for mercy that finds it. The sinner, he walked away justified before God. This word justified in the text, it means he's been acquitted of guilt. There's no guilt for the man. He's been justified of his sins. I love this, this word here um, the, where, where it says he's pleading for mercy, the word mercy. The Greek word mercy here is better understood atonement. Um, go ahead and pull that, that next slide up for Hebrews. The only other time, or the, this word comes up, and when this word comes up, it's translated like this every time as atonement. It, the, my ESV translated, translates it as propitiation, but the word's atonement. So let me, let me, let me read this, this, this to you. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that's talking about Jesus, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest that in the service of God to make, and this word here is the word that we saw mercy in our text translated, to make propitiation, to make atonement for the sins of the people. All right, here's the thing. The Old Testament system was only set up to cover this word propitiation, I know it's an awkward word, but the word matters. The, the Old Testament system only covered sins. What Jesus came and offered is the doing away with sins. So let, let, let me explain. The, the, the tax collector, I do not believe that he was asking for a, a, a propitiation. I believe he was probably asking for a covering. So the Old Testament system, what would happen is on the day of atonement, the high priest, he would go into the temple and in the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And it's like this box. And inside the box, it's like gold, it's pretty, it's got some cool things going on. But inside the box, there's a couple things, but the thing that matters for our conversation is the Ten Commandments. And on top of it is a thing called the mercy seat, atonement seat. Um, on top of it is the mercy seat. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring the sacrifice in and he would place the blood on the atonement seat, on the mercy seat. 
So imagine, imagine the uh, Ten Commandments or, or the, the Ark of the Covenant like this. Imagine it like it's a pair of glasses. It's lenses, okay? So when God would put the lens of the law on, he, he would look through and see, see the people condemned through the law, right? Because before the law, no one has done good. We are all lawbreakers, right? He saw a people who deserved his just wrath to be poured out on them. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would place that blood on that mercy seat. And when the blood was placed on the mercy seat, when God would look down at his people, he would not see them through the lens of the law. He would see them covered by the blood. What Jesus is doing is better. Once a year, that happened every year. That did not do away with sins. That just covered sins. Jesus, when he came, you know, we, we, we saw what happened on earth, right? He was, he was crucified. He was laid in a tomb. He rose from the grave. But the book of Hebrews tells us about the work of Jesus in heaven. And the work in heaven, what Jesus did was he enters into the throne room of God. And in the throne room of God sits the, sits the mercy seat. He went in as the great high priest and placed his blood on that altar, the blood of the divine one, on that altar once for all sins. So sins now are not covered, they are done away with. Amen. What we're offered in Christ is so much better than a covering. Our sins are propitiated. In Christ, our sins the wrath of God towards our sins have totally been abolished. On the cross, he absorbed all the wrath of God for us. And what happened is, he, the, 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 the churchy word is imputed, he imputed, he gave us his righteousness. So the sinless one substituted himself for the sinful ones. The, the righteous one substituted himself for the unrighteous ones. And the tax collector, he cried out for mercy, and he went home justified. You might be sitting here and you might be saying, man, I would like to be justified. I would like this mercy. Use the, the prayer of the tax collector as a model. What, what's the tax collector do? He acknowledges his sin. He repents of his sin. And he cries out for God, to God for mercy cry out that God would place the blood of Christ on your life and that he would wash away your sins. And the Bible tells us that he will throw your sins in his sea of forgetfulness and they will be no more. You see, the Pharisee, his weakness and ultimate demise was that he projected strength to himself, to others, and to God. The tax collector, he's the one that had strength. He showed up broken and found forgiveness. The Bible tells us in Romans, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're here and you're lost and you wanna be saved, just tune out. I'm, tune me out for the rest of the time I'm up here. Do some business with the Lord. You, we we there, these aren't magic words. It's just a broken heart before them, and you will find healing. Spend some time praying. But let's go, let's go to the, our last part, part three, real quick. quick. We're gonna see the 
point of the parable, that Christ will exalt the weak. And this is in verse 14. And I'm gonna read it again for us. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. J.I. Packer, he's, a, he's one of my favorite authors. Um, probably one of the most renowned Christian thinkers of the 21st century. Knowing his days on earth were limited, he was, he was old, he was dying, he penned these words, and I find them very powerful. You'll see them on the screen. In our society, strength, at least imagined strength, is applauded, and weakness is thought of as a defect. We like to have the idea that we're strong. For Christians, weakness should be a way of life. Yet most of us try desperately to be sufficient on our own and we resent our limitations and our needs. Our limitation and our weakness is one of the greatest gifts that God's given us. It shows us that we're finite, that our days are numbered and they're coming to an end. It shows us that we can't do it on our own. Our, our weakness shows us that we're failures. Our weaknesses, what they do is they point us to God, that he would glorify himself in us. Our weaknesses are to, to act as a gift to humble us so that we would worship Jesus. This is, this is what happened to Paul. Paul complained of some sort of weakness in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 8. You'll see that on the screen. And he says this. Jesus is responding to, to Paul's complaint. My, great, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul went on to say in, in 2 Corinthians 12, in response to that, verse nine, he says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Do you want the power of Christ to rest upon you? He goes on, for, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Not embracing our weaknesses in order to project this pretense of strength is going to be the thing that keeps God from moving in our midst. And I desperately want to be a part of the move of God. But it starts on our knees. We cannot worship God in spirit and in truth if we're pretending to be strong. We only worship God when we embrace our weaknesses and we worship him in his strength. Here's the deal. The Bible, he's doing all of it. And he's just working it out through us. My prayer for you, brother and sister, that is in Christ, you would have joy. That joy that the book of Philippians is talk about, talking about. Christian joy. But we're never gonna find that joy as long as we're pretending. I want you to take the pressure off yourself. Like, we try to be so good. Like, yeah, confess sin. And, and, but 
We spend so much time just pretending. And it's exhausting, right? I feel like in counseling, I just find believers who are just exhausted. And it's because they're unwilling to be humble and confess their sin. In our weakness, God displays his greatness. In humility and independence, Christ will exalt you. And when, when I'm talking about Christ will exalt you, yeah, we're gonna be exalted to heaven with him. But also, he's going to use you to do the work of the kingdom here on earth. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 12 again. I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so, in the, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content in weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you believe it? For believers, we have to ask ourselves the question, how bad do you want to be used as a tool for the kingdom of God? To, to grow the kingdom of God here on earth, that the power of Christ might rest upon you. It starts with humility. That's, that's where it starts. That's why I wanted to, to preach this, this sermon first. Is because I can see God working among you. I know this work is already going on. I realize that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants up here. That y'all have done a work here for a long time. But if we want to see that work continue and we want to see that work grow and we want to see God do something in China Spring, we cannot move the way of the Pharisee the way of pride, and the way of strength. God is our warrior. He works through us when we fall on our knees and we're dependent on him. And let me, let me read one more text to you. If you wanna look at not caring about perceived weakness, let's think about Jesus. Jesus came to earth as a poor man. He was a homeless man. This, this king of all the ages preached a sermon that said, love others, count others as more important than yourself, forgive, turn the other cheek. Those things don't look like power in our world, right? The only time that Jesus found himself exalted was when? When he was nailed to a Roman cross and lifted up until all the life left his body. It did not look like strength for a king to die. But in his death, he bought our victory, amen? amen? Philippians 2, 6, who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Christ chose the life of weakness. He chose the walk of humility and humiliation because he was willing to glorify God. 
in what seemed to be weakness to the world. He was the most powerful being in all creation. And he was willing to, to not care what the world around him thought about him. You can put on fake strength. You can exalt yourself before men. Or we can together, church, humble ourselves and see the power of God work through this fellowship. As you go, I pray that when you see your weaknesses, you would glorify God. Jesus shows us in this parable that projected strength and self-reliance is true weakness and that weakness and humility is true strength. The band's gonna come forward in this time of invitation and this is what I'm gonna ask of you guys. I just ask you to search your hearts and, and ask Ask the Lord that he would root these things out. If you, if you want prayer, if, if maybe you're like, you know what, I want to cry out for mercy. I'm not sure how to do it on my own. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to be sitting down in the corner or standing there. I'd, I'd love to pray with you. Or if there's anything that needs prayer, I'd sure love to pray with you guys. But just spend this time in asking God where you need to be humbled and I pray that you would be brave enough to actually humble yourself to him. So if you will, stand with me and let's pray.